Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. In warfare, owning the sky is key to modern warfare, right? If you own the sky, then nothing that moves on the ground is safe. Anti-air batteries, convoys, anything, everything's a target. And the fear is that if the Russians do own the sky, then they can start the copper bombing campaigns. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. The United States is in discussions with Poland to potentially backfill fighter planes if Poland decides to transfer some of its planes to Ukraine. I'm Paul McCleary. I'm a defense reporter here at Politico. On Saturday, Paul McCleary and Alex Ward reported that the U.S. was considering this move. And on Sunday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was asked about it on a CNN appearance with Jake Tapper. The U.S. has ruled out a no-fly zone for fears of getting into direct military conflict with Russia. Um, Zelensky said, quote, then give me the planes. We are uh, working with Poland as we speak to see if we can uh, backfill. Yeah, he confirmed our reporting that uh, the United States was ready to do this. Uh, anything that they provide to, uh, to the Ukrainians, we very much support them providing uh, MiGs, SUs, uh, planes that Ukrainians can fly uh, to the Ukrainians. But we also want to see if we can be helpful, as I said, in making sure that whatever uh, they provide to the Ukrainians, uh, something goes to them to make up for any gap in the security for Poland that might result. Uh, We're actively talking about that uh, right now. Today, Paul McCleary on the potential three-way deal to get more fighter jets to Ukraine and the role that Poland is playing. The Ukrainians do have good anti-air capabilities. And if the Ukrainian Air Force is taken out of the fight and they can't engage these Russian planes, then the Russian planes will, will be able to operate with more impunity. Uh, if the Ukrainians get more aircraft in, they can hold the Russians at bay. They can hit these massive logistic convoys that the Russians are, are sending in. Um, and right now, those convoys are getting chewed up by both Ukrainian kind of hit-and-run tactics and by their, by their aircraft. So if the Ukrainians have more aircraft and can hold on to the skies, then the Russian advance will be slowed and then they're going to bleed. Complicating factors is the Russians have been watching all this as well. And they said, the foreign ministry said on Sunday as well, that any aircraft taking off from a NATO country would be fair game. And that could also, they might also consider that NATO country to be at war with Russia. Um, which they've also said about these convoys full of, of weapons coming from, from mostly Poland into Ukraine, but they haven't done anything yet. I mean, most of Western Ukraine, where this stuff would come through, is pretty safe. Russia does, definitely does not control the sky. I mean, a few Su-25s were shot down on Saturday and Sunday, mm-hmm. Russian Su-25s. So Russian aircraft can't fly with impunity around Ukraine, but neither can Ukrainian planes. I mean, several of their planes have been shot down too. So it could be considered an escalation to send these aircraft, although we're already set, openly sending weapons that are shooting down Russian helicopters and Russian air, airplanes and, and ripping through their tanks. So it remains to be seen how the Russians will take, you know, new aircraft being flown in if, if it does in fact happen. So it seems like the line that the United States is trying to walk is how do we participate in a war without really participating in a war? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty unique situation here. Um, President Biden is very clearly said that U.S. troops will not be in Ukraine. NATO has very clearly said no member nation is sending troops into Ukraine. But there's this very public, uh, very concerted effort to 
send anti-armor, anti-air weapons to Ukraine, as long as small arms, ammunition, counter-battery radar, rations, body armor, all kinds of stuff. So there won't be any Western troops in Ukraine. There won't be any Western aircraft flying over Ukraine. But there's been no attempt to mask full support for the Ukrainian armed forces um, yeah. in, in fighting Russians. I mean, there's no... Some countries are a little more uh, hesitant to talk about it. But, I mean, the, the Danes, the Swedes, the Finns, the Norwegians, the Germans have all essentially issued press releases saying they're sending thousands of anti-armor weapons. So it's a really unique situation, I think, in the history of mm-hmm. uh, Cold War or post-Cold War history. And you have a story out with Alex Ward where you talk about how the U.S. is basically kind of like on the precipice of sending fighter jets to Poland. So Poland has said that they are willing to send fighter jets to Ukraine if the U.S. backfills. Can you tell me about how that discussion came to be and where things are at with that? Yeah, this has been a a week-long drama here. The EU security chief, Joseph Borrell, said about a week ago that Bulgaria, Romania, and... Slovakia and Poland were all going to send their older Russian MiG jets to Ukraine, not with NATO pilots, but so Ukrainian pilots could could fly them in combat. Um, I did a story. It's talking to the Bulgarians, the Romanians, and the Slovaks, and they all said, "Absolutely not. Mm. We don't have we don't have a lot of these planes. We can't get rid of them. Uh, we have to protect our own air, own airspace." The Polish president at the time said he wouldn't send Polish aircraft into Poland. But there was some debate whether what he meant by that. And as Alex Ward and I reported on Saturday, the U.S. has given a green light for Poland to send its used MiG-29s to Ukraine so Ukrainian pilots could fly them in combat. And we would backfill them with U.S. F-16s because the Poles would fly because Poland already already owns several dozen F-16s. So um, they already know how to fly the planes. Mm. There's some issues. One, the Poles are a little hesitant, I think, to fully announced this publicly, although it's kind of now happened. But there are some U.S. avionics and technologies on some of those MiGs that I think the United States was uncomfortable transferring, but now it seems like they're okay. And with the F-16s, I think there's also, we don't always export everything that the United States uses certain equipment, then we can export a version of that. So I guess these F-16s that we would send would be exportable. And it seems that the ball is really in the court of Poland now, whether they want to do this. We know that Poland has seen a huge influx of Ukrainian refugees and that there are a lot of troops, U.S. troops stationed in Poland to sort of bolster NATO allies along the Eastern Front. Just like stepping back, could you talk about what the U.S.'s relationship is with Poland right now? It's already been pretty strong. I mean, the Poles have, for the past maybe decade, really increased their defense spending, and they've really tried to make themselves an indispensable partner for NATO overall. I mean, they sent troops into Afghanistan, sent troops into Iraq. In 2020, they signed a $4.6 billion deal to buy F-35s. Just Mm -hmm. a few months ago, they signed a deal to buy 250 Abrams tanks. They have U.S. missile systems and missile defense systems. So they've really doubled down or tripled down even on their defense spending. This is kind of a continuation of what they've been doing for the past decade in being uh, at the forefront of NATO security operations. So they are one of the stronger NATO allies and one of the more involved NATO allies. I mean, there's always issues with some of the Polish government's political positions, right? And mm-hmm. social positions and social policy. Uh, but they're trying to separate the two and becoming a, a defensive ally if 
sometimes there's maybe a little bit of backsliding on the, on the democratic front or the, the civil society front. And so the relationship has been really strong. Um, the U.S. troops that are in Poland are training with Polish troops. They're not involved in the humanitarian mission yet, and if at all. When I was speaking with some folks from the 82nd Airborne about a week ago, they said that they think Poland and the um, European Union can handle this, and there's no role for them. Their role is to um, deter any potential Russian move into um, into Poland if Russia wanted thought they could do that. And it's just kind of just bolstering that that Eastern Front. More U.S. troops went into the Baltics too just recently, and then some down to Romania. So um, it's more to protect the NATO borders than than to do much, than to do anything else. I just want to go back to how this moment came to be. We've seen President Zelensky making really compelling and effective pleas, not just to world leaders, but to U.S. congressmen and women. What were the levers in place to encourage Poland to do this? And what were the discussions on the U.S. side like? I mean, I don't think Poland has needed a lot of prodding to do this. I mean, this is a moment that they've embraced. And in embracing it, they're showing that they are Western looking. And this is also an existential threat for them, right? I mean, having Russian Mm -hmm. soldiers right on their border. It's been only a couple decades since they left. I mean, the Poles see this as a real threat to their freedom and to their society, right? And, and, and to their country. So this is personal and it's existential for the Polish government. So they didn't need much, much prodding. I don't think, um, Washington probably has. I mean, we've seen a kind of back and forth over the past, since the Obama administration about sending javelins, um, missiles and, and, and lethal weapons in, um, which President Trump finally did after you know, his perfect phone call with Zelensky and, and refusing to send those weapons, he eventually did. Um, and the Biden administration has done much, much, much more than even the Trump administration did. Um, they're, I think it's been over a billion this past year, three billion over the, over the past few years. So the West and the United States took, other than Poland, took a little more convincing. But once Russian tanks moved over the border, I mean, that was it. Everyone was all in to the point where NATO still says they will not go into Ukraine. So, I mean, there, there is a line there. Although the trucks and the weapons are, are flowing in, so they won't send troops, but they're, they're, NATO's involved, mm-hmm. deeply involved in this. Whether they, what red line about sending troops that they lay down, they're, they're part of it. Do you have any final thoughts here you wanted to talk about? Um, I th- think that there's going to have to be, and it's already starting, something of a reevaluation in the West of Russian military capabilities. I mean, the Russians don't seem to be following their normal doctrine of massive air and artillery barrages, and then you send in troops afterwards to kind of clean up. I mean, the Russians, as we saw in Syria and Grozny, have never been overly concerned with civilian casualties. Mm. This time, they've hit civilian sites, but not as much as was expected. And they seem to be sending in small units without much armor and without much backup. And these thunder runs into cities and they're just getting chewed up. But they keep doing it. And and it's kind of confounding a lot of Russian military analysts I know why they keep doing this. Um, no one will complain if Russia doesn't carp bomb a city. Um, that's good news. But if they keep, I won't say they're losing the war. At best, it's a stalemate. If the stalemate keeps up, they might revert to the usual Rus- Russian tactics of just of flattening civilian infrastructure. Um, and that would be, NATO says they won't go in, and they don't want to go in, but to have that in Europe on uh, the borders of NATO would have to call for a real reevaluation of the NATO position. So there's, uh, there's a lot of danger ahead. Paul McCleary, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much. 
Also in the news, the United Nations Refugee Agency says that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has already prompted more than 1.5 million people to flee the war, and that this is the fastest-growing refugee crisis in Europe since World War II. More than 800,000 refugees have crossed into Poland. And more than two weeks after a nationwide recall of infant formula tied to five hospitalizations and two deaths, the FDA has not yet answered questions from parents, lawmakers, and advocates about why it took months to recall the formula. The FDA said that it was investigating and that it would conduct a review once their investigation is over. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.